I'm Lean Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour, falcha, bienvenidos, and welcome to The Motivated Classroom podcast. Falcha, gachtina. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 107. Can you believe this? And I am today going to be talking about reading a class novel. This is a very common question. I talk a lot about the importance of reading in the language acquisition classroom, the importance of using graded novels or books that are written particularly for the learners of that language at a particular level. We've had many authors on here and I think it's time to really go through how I introduce the book, start the book and how I essentially read the book with my class as a class novel. Now, we've already had two episodes on this with episode 24 on reading strategies, episode 86 as well. So go back and have a listen to those. And also some brilliant interviews we've had with Adriana Ramirez and Margarita Perez Garcia, to name but a few. So please listen to those and really get a grounding in the importance of reading in the language classroom. Today, I'm going to go through how I go about teaching a class novel and again (laughs) I say this many times but this is just my take on it this is the way I do it it's the way I feel like works quite well in my own context but it's just my take you take do with that what you will and decide how it would work in your context and what way suits your teaching and your personality best but try to plan it around those three basic psychological needs of autonomy competence and relatedness for the learners and and having listened to many of these great authors speak I've, I've learned a lot from them and how to do it now of course today is the motivated classroom and that means we start with an Irish word and today it's the obvious word on lower a lower in Irish is a book so that is obviously the word for today on Lauer. And you could say Lauer Intoche. It's a fantastic book. And today, many of you who might be listening haven't seen my announcement on Instagram or Facebook. I have a pretty major piece of news. I'm very excited to share with you all, but you're going to have to wait till the end of the episode. And this is really exciting stuff. It's something I've been trying to do for years. And finally, I think look, it looks like it might happen. So, yes, stay tuned for that. And I will explain all later. And I hope many of you will be excited as I am. Okay, so let's get straight into talking now about these reading strategies and how I go about doing it in my own classroom. And hopefully this will be useful to you. very much a practical episode, this one about what happens in the class. So first things first, it's setting up your classroom. So when I'm about to teach a novel or introduce a novel, I'll typically push most of the tables back. So I've just got chairs and the students are really listening. And that's a strategy I do frequently when I'm doing stories or invisible characters. It changes up the feel of the class a little bit, gets you to move around the students a bit. They can sit with different people. So I'll have the tables pushed back. The chairs are just in a semicircle and they know that we're going to be mainly focusing on listening and reading for whatever we're doing in this setup of the class. That's the first thing. The second thing then is I constantly repeat with them and they they will have heard it many times until now, leer es poder. So I'll have explained to them the importance of reading and at this stage they'll already have heard me talk about comprehensible input, they'll already have heard me talk about reading and the benefits around reading and why reading is so important. We may have already started our free voluntary reading program whereas they're grabbing their own book every day when they come in. So reading has become kind of natural and they're into it. This is, I take a few weeks to get those things in place before I will start the novel. And of course, getting to know them, their likes and dislikes, giving them autonomy, learning about who they are, how we work together, essentially building trust in our classroom. And then we'll go into the novel. Now, the other thing I'll do with them right before I start the novel is I'll actually share 
just a few pieces of really important research around reading with them. So again, I'm not going to take a huge amount of time, maybe 15, 20 minutes to go through four or five important pieces of research around reading. And I'll use Spanish to talk about them and the numbers, but with graphs that are in English, so it's easy for them to understand. And just to show them like there's research behind this. We're not doing this for no reason. Reading is really important. And of course, I want them not just to learn to love to read in Spanish, but to read across all areas of their life, to go home and want to read, to read in their own mother tongue. This is all part of it because we know all of that reading is going to help them. So the acquisition process is squarely focused on reading and listening. It's so important and I want them to know that. So I share some of the studies like this. So one of the first ones I talked to them about is the Matthew effect. So this is from a study by Nagy and Herman in 1987, essentially a classic study about how many words children are exposed to compared to the time they spend reading each day. Now, again, I'm trying to encourage them to read for pleasure and not see this as something they have to do as part of the course, but to learn the importance of reading for pleasure. So basically, this is, again, quite a famous study at this stage and used frequently when talking about reading, that if someone at grade five, that was the age of the kids they used. So if someone is reading for less than a minute a day, then over a year, they are exposed to about 8,000 words. If you just read for less than one minute a day. Now, you increase that to just below five minutes, so 4.6 minutes exactly, that's what they were using in the research. It actually means that that kid is now exposed to 282,000 words in that year. So it's an exponential growth. By just reading for three more minutes a day, you're exposed to 282,000 words instead of 8,000 words. And finally, if you're reading for 20 minutes a day, which again, for some is quite realistic, maybe not for others, but for some it might be, you're exposed to 1.8 million words in the year as a child at grade five. And remember that we know that language acquisition happens a lot implicitly, not entirely, but a lot of what we learn about acquisition happens implicitly without us knowing or realising through reading. So this exposure to these words is key and critical. So I share that with them first and foremost. Then I, I go through these next studies kind of quickly with them. I'll say, you know, there's a recent study in the University of Essex that showed us that reading for just six minutes a day actually reduces stress by 68%. So it helps you with that. There's also a study conducted and it was reported on in BBC Future in 2019, which showed that there's lots of research out there, actually a big analysis showing a wealth of studies that reading fiction actually makes us better people. We become more kind and more empathetic to others the more we read fiction. And finally, then I mentioned my wife, who is a doctor, and the fact that in many medical training programmes now to become doctors, they've brought in free reading programmes. And Shapiro and Rooker did a study in this in 2003. Basically, more medical training programs include free reading in their courses because they see the value of this in their bedside manner, their empathy, the way they can talk to people, their understanding, their cross-cultural and intercultural knowledge about different people, places. The more you read, essentially, the better a person you are. So the medical students and the medicine faculties noticed this and started bringing in these reading programmes as part of their training to be a doctor. And this made their doctors better doctors, essentially. Really quite fascinating and powerful. And then the last one I share with them is, but 
does it really work to learn the language? Does it help us to learn the language? And of course, there are vast swathes amount of research out there about the importance of free reading. Benico Mason has done lots of work on this area, all about reading. So is Dr. Krashen, reading, helping us to acquire new words and new language. But specifically, actually, the one that I share with them quite a lot. This is a study conducted in 2006 by Ellie um, called Acquiring Literacy in a Second Language, the Effects of Book-Based Programmes. And I'll just actually read from the conclusion here. So when immersed in meaningful text without tight controls over syntax and vocabulary, it's really key, children appear to learn the language incidentally and to develop positive attitudes towards books. In some cases, the benefits are found to spread to other subjects and other languages. Implications are drawn for language policy in developing countries and some support is established for concepts such as comprehensible input and whole languages approach to language acquisition. So pretty powerful stuff showing that when we bring in a free reading program or a book based program that we acquire lots of new language and that can impact positively on many other areas. Now for that last piece, I break it down a little bit and just show the name of the study and I say that it's been shown that with comprehensible readers and things we can understand that we acquire new language. I don't read out that paragraph exactly for kids who are age 12 or 13. It's a bit complex, but I will break it down and show them that this is we're doing all this for a reason. We are reading books for a reason. So they're really bought into it before we even begin. And it's just giving them that kind of grounding and why we're doing this and hopefully making them think about picking up that book when they go home at night as well. So now I want to share with you my kind of 11... <laughs> key pointers you know and 10 would be nice but I'll go to 11 if you've seen Spinal Tap you'll know what I'm talking about it's a movie where they talk about going to 11 like it's just one more it's better so anyway I'm going to go to 11 here on this podcast with 11 things I do when teaching a novel that I feel are very very important for bringing the student with me but also these are grounded in the evidence around self-determination theory autonomy competence relatedness so the very first thing I do is I so I'll start with number one because I sometimes lose my numbers on these episodes number one I pre-teach some of the vocabulary through story listening now it was Margarita Perez Garcia that really brought me on board with this I was kind of doing something similar anyway but she explained it much better in her episode essentially that I'll do a mini story listening where essentially I'm just speaking about not maybe I'm not telling the exact story of the book particularly if it's got some cliffhangers or particularly if it's got sections to it that I want to have some suspense but something quite similar or or something very close to it and I will do a story listening where they're just listening to me and I'm drawing and I'll draw bits and pieces on the board maybe use some graphics and just talk to them about a little story that's very similar storyline to the one that we're going to read. But again, without major spoilers, it'll have the key vocab and concepts. So, for example, in Margarita's book, Itipuru, which is about a little penguin. Then, of course, the story listening I'll do will include words like penguin, whale, ocean, dog, coastline, because all of those are in that book. So it's to give them grounding of the key vocab. We'll put some of the main words on the board, but I haven't told them you need these for the book. I've just said, I want you to listen to this story. I want to introduce some some things to you and I'll talk to them about it. So that's the first one. And if you want to learn more about story listening, we actually have a couple of episodes coming up very soon. One with uh, Dr. Benico Mason and Alisa Ayel talking about story listening and how to do it. And then a follow-up episode with that. Excited to have Cecile Lene, who's going to be on the podcast, talking about how that translates at the classroom level. So those episodes are coming up, but definitely go back and listen to Margarita's episode. And I think she explains it very well, too. 
Number two, the front cover. So I use the front cover for quite a big class discussion. Whatever the cover is, it could be a totally blank cover. It's quite rare, but you will have something on the cover or on the back cover. And I, we will go through this in detail. I'll get them to picture talk it. So who do you think the person is? Or why is there a cross there? Why is there a sun? What type of sun is it? Is it bright? Is it not? Is it day? Is it night? Is this a graveyard? Where is it? Whatever the image is, we'll do a lot of talk and discussion about it. They'll do it in pairs. They'll talk to me. We'll guess. We'll think about it. We might even give a little backstory to the cover. What colours can we see? What's going on? What do you think this tells us about the story? You're building tension around the story. They want to know. And you'll see some of them flick over to the back and try and start to read about it and be like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about this. And that's just building the tension of the book. That's a good thing. And when you have to point out in class, no, no, don't read the back cover yet. I know you're very excited to get into this book and I am too, but let's just wait. Others see this and they're like, oh, I should be excited about it too. So that's that relatedness piece happening. As part of the cover talk, I may also speak about the author. It depends who the author is. So, I know, for example, when we just read our book on Maria Cano, uh, Adriana Ramirez's book, it's really, really good. And it's all about equality and women's rights and being pushing for things you believe in, social justice. I, I spoke about Adriana and I, and I shared that she's a friend and where she's from and the kind of books she writes. And she's a vegan and she's passionate about survival of the planet, survival of fairness and equality and social justice and kind of really made them connect with her as well. Now, if you know about the author and you can share about the author, that's powerful stuff to do, too. So I recommend you do that if you can. So that's kind of our first two points. Point number three, chapter one. What do we do in chapter one? So this is where teachers are like, how do I read the book? Like, do I read it? Do they read it? Do we read line by line? Do, how do we go about that? My answer to that is whatever is comfortable for you, but you, your activities should be diverse and change up quite a lot. Remember that research from Jean-Marc Duvalle and his colleagues in the UK over and over again about the importance of unpredictability in a language lesson. We don't want it to be really predictable, that they know exactly what's coming next. We want to try and keep it fun, exciting, positive emotions comes from unpredictability. So we have lots of different activities going on that also ties in with that UDL approach, universal design for learning, lots of ways into the learning for the learner. So the first chapter, what I like to do personally, the very first chapter, I like to read it myself. Usually the first chapter is not really, really long. If your book happens to have a very long first chapter, then maybe you just read the first bit. I read the first chapter, I sit down in front of them, they're in a semicircle facing me, no tables, they've got their books out, nothing else in their hands. And I will read that first chapter with a lot of emotion, I'll read it with dramatic pauses, I'll read it when there's dialogue, I'll try and really get into it, show emotion, be expressive, be clear, I'll explain little things, I'll ask them, do you know what that means? But I do the first chapter almost to kind of set the example of this is how we read in our class. We read with expression, we read with passion. This is what we do. We don't just read the words. We actually get into the story. So I read the first chapter. Next, after chapter one, I'll actually introduce phase reading. So this is F-A-S-E. And this comes from Doug Lamov's book, Teach Like a Champion. It's a, it's a really good way of approaching classroom reading of a novel. So this is point four. Now, phase reading stands for fluency, accountability, social and expressive. What Doug Lamov talks about in this book is that it should be short and unpredictable. So you don't know who's coming next. You don't know when you're going to be asked to read. 
And you could ask someone to read even as little as half a sentence and then go to the next person. And the whole idea is this is accountability, everybody listening and paying attention to where the book is. You, I always ask them in the book, they recommend that you have students follow along the words with their finger. And I do ask them to do this. Teenagers are kind of reluctant, but I'll show them to please do this to follow with your finger. And I'll explain why it's not because we're, we can't read without our finger. Of course we can. It's so that when I ask you that we don't lose the flow of the story and we know where we are. Now, of course, eventually you'll ask someone they haven't been following with their finger. They'll be lost and then you'll be able to say, look, it's OK. I know you're a strong reader. You weren't using your finger to follow the text. But what's happened now is you've read ahead or you weren't with us. So now we've all lost a little bit the storyline and what was going on. So please, everyone, finger under the words as we go. So they're reading the words and associating them with their brain as well. What else happens in phase reading? Well, there's accountability because anybody can be called upon. The transitions are very quick. We don't transition from saying, you know, Jessica's read this first bit and then I say, oh, Jessica, that was lovely. Thank you very much for reading that. That was great. Now, James, would you mind reading the next part starting at the word uh, entonces? That all took about eight or nine seconds and maybe you even said that bit in English. If you said in Spanish, it's one thing, but we want the story to keep going. So instead of that, you would just say, Jessica's reading the first bit. So you go, Jessica, start here. She reads and then she comes to a full stop and I'll say, thank you, James. That's the transition. That's it. And now James starts reading the next bit. So it's very quick. You are a bridge. It's not always the students. It's mixed in with you. And I explain this to the students that there'll be bits when I jump in as well. So maybe Jessica's read a bit. James is read and James happens to be quite a slow reader and he only read one line. And in order to kind of move things forward, I'll just jump in now and I'll read the next five or six lines and then I'll go to someone else. So it could be anyone at any time. This is phase reading. And I explain to them, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we read in this class. The E is for expressive. The expressive part means you really get into the dialogue and you, you use intonation and pauses to make it interesting for everyone. Just have a go. Try and model it on what you hear from the teacher. The S is social. It's something we're all doing together. We're learning and reading together as a group. And they get into this. So I explain that. OK, we're rifling through these now. So point number five, chapter two. So when I get to chapter two, I've introduced phase reading and now it's chapter two. We Now we do phase reading. We mix in lines. They'll read a line or two. Then I'll read some lines. They'll read a line showing them that it could go anywhere at any time. And you may not necessarily be at the end of a sentence or even at the end of a paragraph when I jump to the next person. It could happen at any time. When you're doing this phase reading the first few times in particular, I start with readers who I think are quite extrovert, quite strong readers who are going to be expressive. So they set the tone a little bit. But I do have everyone getting involved in the reading. And purposefully, I will choose easy, short sentences in sections for those students who are not the strongest readers so that they feel competent, that self-determination, basic need of competence. So I will read ahead and I'll have marked sections that are quite easy or with short sentences or short dialogue that I know even my students who are struggling a little bit compared to the others will be able to read that with success. There's no big words in there that are going to trip them up. The strong readers, when they get to those big words, it doesn't matter to them, really. They're OK with you pointing out how to say that. But the ones who are, who are still low in the confidence area, they need the easy words. So I specifically have those chosen and I know I'm going to ask certain people to read certain things. So now we're into point six. So the next thing I will try and do is some kind of true or false, usually around characters. So we've read two chapters, even if they're short. At this stage, we're doing a little bit of comprehension checks. Now, 
going to make it really, really clear. I don't do comprehension questions as in where did John start his adventure or in what year did this take place? To me, if you bring in comprehension questions like that in a class novel, you're making it out like a chore, like a worksheet, like something they have to do. When we read a class novel, it's to read, to understand it, to enjoy it, essentially just to read for the sake of reading, to trust the process that, of course, I want them to understand what's going on. But by giving them 10 comprehension questions at the end of every chapter, it just feels like a chore. It feels like a task in school. I want them to read for pleasure and get lost in the storyline and just implicitly learn those new words. So, yes, I do comprehension stuff, but it's not your typical list of questions. I might do something like, OK, we've read two chapters. We're going to do a true or false now for the character of uh, Alexandra. And then I'll say, Alexandra is this. Does Ale- uh, Alexandra lives in this park? True, false. Alexandra goes here. True. Alexandra is a nice person. And then some people will say true. Some will say false. And now we get into a discussion. Why do you think that? What, what happened in the chapter that makes you think she's nice? What makes you think she's not nice? Hmm, interesting. OK, we'll see how that goes. So pick a character, have a few true or false questions ready and some that are quite open and could be debated. And that is your sixth point. Point six. I'm doing well here at staying to my list, haven't I? It's almost like I've written it down. <laughs> Point number seven, we're now into chapter three. Chapter three is typically when I'll do my first bit of silent reading. Now, silent reading is an important part of the class of reading the novel, but it's usually a short section, not like a seven pages, might be one page or two pages. Again, I'll usually have picked it out in advance. So, of course, when you do silent individual reading, some students will read much quicker than others. So you always need a follow up task for that for them to do when everyone else is still finishing the reading. So I'll be say something like, OK, we're in chapter three now. I want you to read these two pages silently on your own. When you're finished with the reading, I want you to go back and pick out four or five words that are new to you. Write them down and see if you can put them into a sentence on your whiteboard. That might be one thing. Or it might be pick out the sentence that you feel is really important and tell me why on your whiteboard. So some of the students will get to that task and some won't. So I'm looking to see once everyone has gone to reach for their whiteboard, well, then everyone's ready. So silent, independent reading is a really critical part of becoming a strong reader. And we still want that to be part of the reading of the novel. So as you can see, we're mixing and matching what we're doing. Point number eight, acting or having actors come up for dialogues. This depends on the book. It depends on the kind of genre and the tone of the book and how you're going to get things acted out. The book we're currently reading about Maria Cano, for example, from Adriana Ramirez, is, I would say, quite a serious book. It's, it's, not, it's not a jokey, silly, comical book. It's a, it's a book about women getting to vote and it's a book about people really suffering and social justice. It's an important book, but I'm not going to have people come up and act out in a silly way things from that book because it just doesn't feel right. It's not the right thing to do. However, there are dialogues and scenes where I could get people to act out, but they will act it in a serious way. There are other books I might use, like Margarita Perez Garcia's book, um, Arroz con Cosas, like really kind of funny and kind of silly book. That one, I'll have people come up and get really silly in the acting and we'll embellish and we'll go further. We'll give backstories that are really ridiculous to these characters in that book. We'll talk about things they did in their childhood that were hilarious and silly and we'll write them down. We'll go further and further. 
So it depends on your book. But yes, acting is a big part. I normally always get people to come up and act when there's a dialogue uh, or some action that they can act out, like they ran across the beach and I'll get them to run. So even in a serious book, that can still be part of it. But read ahead, pick out the sections you think would good for acting. And of course, you need to select your actors carefully. You select your actors based on your TPR, your total physical response. So getting them to do gestures for he went, he ran, he swam and seeing who really overacts, who is really extrovert. Well, they're going to be your first actors. But then you'll also get other people up and act who are maybe not those extroverts, but it'll help them to see that this is a safe place for us to do that. And you encourage them and you help them along and you can speak for them if they need to so they can mime like they just open their mouth and you do the speaking part for them. Little things like that are really good. So that's point number eight. Point nine is reading at home. So yes, that happens. And yes, that is a vital part of reading a novel as a class for me. How much do they read at home? It depends. It could be a few pages, but that's typically the homework that they'll get is read the next chapter, read these next few pages, and then there'll always be something they have to do with it. Typically a small accountability piece like write a small reflection on how you felt at the end of the chapter. How did you feel? Write a small reflection on what is the most important phrase in in the chapter and why. Pick out three words that are new to you and write a new sentence with them using characters from the book. Anything that shows that they've read the chapter, essentially, that's what you're trying to get them to do, your accountability for actually reading it. But they absolutely do read at home. And I make sure my next class begins with some kind of whiteboard formative assessment review activity of that chapter. So asking a question about certain things and they write the answer on their whiteboard, a date, a time, a colour, something like that, to see did they actually read it. And they'll know very quickly, oh, in this class, we need to do the reading at home. And of course, they know that reading is important. So hopefully they're on side with that. So that's point number nine is yes, reading at home happens. Another nice activity is read like a short section. It could be just one paragraph to your parent or guardian who's at home and translate it into your strongest language. So it might be something small. They'll read it in Spanish and then they'll translate that back in Turkish or in Dutch or in French, whatever it may be. And that's really powerful. It brings this, the parents into the learning of the story too. So we're almost there, we're almost there. Now, for points 10 and 11, I'm talking about things that we might do throughout the book or at the end of the book. Now, for those first nine points, we essentially repeat those in different ways and mix and match them throughout. So there's a mixture of reading at home, reading in silence, me reading, and them reading with me in class. There's a mixture of all of those things going on and we mix and match them to keep it interesting. Number 10 is, I've kind of already mentioned it, you see I couldn't keep to my list no matter how hard I tried, it's the reflections. So number 10 is the reflections about what you do with it. Instead of having those comprehension questions like in what year did this battle start or where did they go first and what happened then, it's more about reflecting on how they feel, how can they connect to it, what connections can you make between your life and the book, what connections can you see. Think about the word empathy. How does that connect to this chapter? Think about the word perspective. How does that connect to those three chapters? Those type of reflections are the things that they write. You're thinking, but do they write those in the target language? Yes, they do, if they can. So that's how I say to them. If you feel like you can write it in Spanish, please write it in Spanish. The more you try, the the more you can develop the language. But if you want to use a bit of English mixed in, that's okay. That's all right. So that's the way we do that. And typically, most of them will attempt in Spanish or at least get there eventually. And finally, number 11, our last point, 
the mini whiteboard. So the mini whiteboard activity for reading is critical. So we start every class with some review activities with the whiteboards. Other question people ask me, I'm just talking about starting the class. Do you still start class with free voluntary reading? Yes. So they start the class with the reading of their own novel. Then we're going to review of the class novel and now we're reading the class novel together. So the review activities are things like um, everyone pick out a whiteboard and I want you to write down as many words as you can related to the book so far. Go. And it'll just be vocabulary words, like things that are important in the storyline. And then we might play give one, get one. So you walk around the class, you give a word to someone and then they give you a word. And once you've exchanged a word each, you put your hand in the air with your board and you find someone else with their hand in the air and you go to them. The idea is whoever has the longest list of words wins. You can't look at the other person's board. They've got to share it by saying it. And you have to use the sentence, tienes la palabra, do you have, or ya lo tengo, I already have it. So that's one activity we may do. Other things would be find a sentence in the chapter about something. So I might say, chapter four, page 15 to 19, find me a sentence that is all about perspective. Find me a sentence that's about suffering. Find me a sentence that uses the word um, sunset. And then they'll have to try and find it and write it down and then we'll talk about it. So anything that gets them reviewing the book using a whiteboard, vocabulary, sentences that are important, finding particular things, finding synonyms, like I give them three words and they have to find synonyms for them in the chapter. So it could be the word like said, big and tiny. And they have to find those words, but a synonym, a different word that explains it, or it's the same thing in the chapter. Or antonyms, the opposites. Anything like this that gets them rereading. So they're actually rereading, reading, leer es poder, and learning. So they're not just reviewing, they're, they're rereading the sections as well and getting more input. So that is point number 11, the critical use of the mini whiteboard for review. Now, if you want to learn more about whiteboard activities, I did a whole episode on this right back near the beginning. I think it was called 11 Retrieval Practice Activities. Maybe I just liked the number 11. Maybe it was less. I can't remember. It's like 100 episodes ago. But you can go and listen to that. And there's many of these activities spoken about how we use the mini whiteboard for review. And that can be totally done with the novel. So a couple of final pointers to bring in here. For me personally, as I said, no comprehension questions. Now, some of you will gall at that and say, what? Like, how can you read a book and not give them comprehension questions? As I said, we do the comprehension together using whiteboards, me talking true or falses, saying things that are incorrect, getting them to correct me. But I don't want them to feel like the book is a chore. It's got to feel like reading for pleasure. Supplement your book with videos from YouTube if you can find them. So if your video is about migration or if it's about uh, foods and Spanish foods like that one from Margarita, Arroz con Cosas. So then if it's about food, you find a couple of videos online about paella or about Spanish tapas and you compare it and talk about it, contrast to the book. So find some videos to supplement is a really good idea to break up the reading as well. And I guess my final point is, do you try and make it silly and funny and embellish things going on in the book for so that they remember and learn the, about them? And I'm a big fan of that. Usually it depends on the book and the context of the book. So if your book is quite serious and has some really you know important messages and themes, I would certainly not embellish and, and invent backstories for characters and get silly with it. 
because that's taking away from the message. But if the book is kind of silly and it's written for adolescents and it's quite fun and there's a fun aspect to it, then you can totally do that. So you have to judge that. You may bring in invisible characters you've already developed with the class. You may bring in things from other stories like, oh, he has a friend actually. Doesn't mention here, but one of his best friends is Leonardo de Maprio, the guy who loves the maps with the moustache. You know, you can bring in these things as long as it's right for the context of the book. So there you go. 11 ways to read the novel in class. I hope that was useful. And now for some of that big news. So I am very excited about this. For many years, people have been asking me, would I please run a workshop or workshops or a day of workshops in person that they could attend? And I've looked into it and it's just never been possible, mainly because of the prohibitive cost, because I would have to rent out rooms and organise food and travel and all sorts of things. It was just never possible for me. It was just too much to try and think about. So I've always done them online. But there are loads of people who get in contact and say, you know, would you please do something in person? Like I'm based in Israel or I'm based in Morocco or I'm based in France and I would love to come and do a couple of days learning with you in person and my school would pay for it. Essentially, kind of like a mini motivated classroom conference, I guess, but sadly just me as the presenter, not with all these other people. Maybe someday we'll get there eventually with lots of other people, who knows, but there's already such brilliant conferences going on. So this is essentially going to be a two-day workshop that I am going to run in person in Geneva because I was approached by the Institute of Learning and Teaching in Geneva and they want me to run a program with them where I can use their facilities. So that is extremely exciting news. It's more than likely going to be at the end of April. It'll be two full days of professional development with me. So more than likely six, seven hours of course on the Friday and six or seven hours on the Saturday. So you're talking 13, 14 hours roughly of professional development course with me over two full days, a Friday and a Saturday. The first six hours on teaching with comprehensible input, me in person, giving demos of how I do it in person and bringing the learning to a whole other level like you can't really do online. And then the second day will be an entire day, six hours on teaching through co-created storytelling, developing a story from scratch all the way through to what happens right at the end of the story and building from there. So first day on CI, second day on TPRS or co-created stories. Very similar to the ones I do online right now, but in person, which I think will be dramatically different. Now, of course, this will only run if there's enough people. So considering the amount of emails I've got, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people who are into this. But of course, it depends on budgets and your school. Now, Geneva is not a cheap place. And of course, having a course that is run in Geneva in the Institute of Learning and Teaching is not going to be cheap. But hopefully if your schools are in a position to pay all or some of it, and I think I would like to work out with them to have some kind of system where there's payment for people who are unemployed or who are in training that's a bit less than the full price. Uh, We have to work out a lot of details, but it looks like it's going to be at the end of April, two days on a Friday and Saturday uh, in Geneva. And that's obviously very central in terms of location and accessing it. So there's lots and lots of ways to get there quite easily, which is great. Now, I know that for many people being able to travel to Geneva for an in-person two-day workshop on teaching CI and teaching with co-created storytelling sounds really exciting, but also may just not be possible because of cost, getting to Geneva and paying for the course and accommodation, etc. I think it's probably worth saying that if you're a French teacher, 
you have the added benefit that you would be coming somewhere that is French speaking and immersing yourself around French speaking for those couple of days. Of course, the course will be done in English, but you would be in Geneva around French all of those couple of days, which I think for a lot of people is a big benefit, especially if you are a French teacher in, I don't know, in the UK or in one of the countries in Europe and it's not your native language. A lot of people mentioned to me that that was another pro or a plus of coming to Geneva. They might even stay a day longer on either side just to be around French and learn more French while they're there. So that could be another benefit. And for now, what I need to know is how many people are interested, basically. So if this is something you think your school would support, please, can you go on my website, liamprinter.com, go to workshop and you'll see that there's going to be a link there. And it's just an interest form. It explains the cost, what will happen. The cost is going to include probably a lunch, some an apro on the first day. So we'll all go for a glass of wine, maybe all have dinner together, talk more about teaching and learning and language acquisition. I'm so excited about that. It's going to be so fun. And uh, it will probably include like lots of other little bits and pieces too. I don't think it will include your accommodation. So you'll need to figure that out and your travel to get there. So just go and have a look. And if you think that it's something you could do sign up for the interest form that doesn't mean that you are registered it's just saying hey I'd be really keen about this and I want to be one of the first to know when this is official we still have some things to work out but the first one is is there enough interest so if we have 15-20 people who are interested then I think we'll go ahead and do it if we don't then that's probably not enough to make it worthwhile um, considering it's in Geneva and it's not cheap to run a course out of the Institute of Learning and Teaching. So I'm I'm super excited about this. There's so many people who've been asking for this for the last three years and I've never been able to work it out. So a huge merci to the Institut de l'Apprentissage et d'Enseignement, the Institute of Teaching and Learning in Ecolant in Geneva. And hopefully we can get this, this moving. Go on my website, tell me if you're interested, tell your friends, share the form with them and we'll see how many people are, are into this and then we can we can get it official and then I'll send out to those people on the interest form. Here's the booking form. Go ahead. Okay, there you go. That's the big news. So remember, today's word for today, today's word for today. Gosh, I can't speak at the end of a podcast. The word for today for the motivated classroom was on Lauer, the book. And then, you know, it doesn't really, you can't use it to book in for things. So that's different in English, but try and book onto this course if you can. But Lauer is the word for a book that you read. Merci beaucoup, Garmila Mahagav. Thank you so much. I really hope to see many of you on this course in person. Very excited about that. And I really hope to see what you think about teaching with those 11 points for a novel and how that goes. Please let me know what you thought of this episode. The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.